Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, September 6th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, early childhood interventions could help reduce the major health problems children with developmental delays face. Then lawmakers are trying to better understand the unique challenges in youth courts. Plus, we talk with the authors of 100 Things You Should Do in Mississippi Before You Die. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has some of the worst health statistics in the nation. Medical leaders say identifying illnesses and risk factors during early childhood can help save lives. This year, the state legislature put together a task force to provide better early intervention suggestions. Members are meeting with experts from across the state and nation to help inform policy changes. Our Will Stribling speaks with Dr. Susan Buttress, professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She chairs the legislature's early intervention task force and says She's looking to other states to see what policies work and how they can be adapted for Mississippi's needs. In Tennessee, they have made excellent progress in their services for young children and families in that birth to three category. And they've done some major reorganization. So we wanted to look at what they'd done, what their process was, how long it took, who they were servicing, and and how they were gaining more service providers for the children. And you mentioned that y'all have to have that, you know, report for the legislature in November. Like, what are y'all's top priorities, you know? Right. The report is actually due in December, so we want to have the draft report ready by November so all of our task force members will be able to review it and have input. We feel like that this is such an incredible opportunity to improve services for our young children in this state that we want to make sure that we do it right. And we're very careful about any of the recommendations that go to our legislators. Yeah, and there's can you, you know, just a bit about like what the, this early intervention program, what it provides and what areas you are looking at for possible improvement as far as like the, the organization and services. Right. For um, early intervention services, it's a federally mandated program. The services can be anything um, that a young child birth to three needs, which might include physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, or behavioral therapy. And one bit of discussion that happened 
today in our task force was the addition of mental health and behavioral health in that birth to three because that's such an important area. So those services can also be included. And and they're not currently in Mississippi? They're not currently included. But it's something that, according to federal mandate, we can include. We don't have to. But knowing how important behavioral and mental health and attachment to, to mothers is, how important that is, the sooner that we can intervene when there's a problem, the better off the children will be and their families. Mm-hmm. And there's and then Dr. Rennie at one point was talking about reimbursement from third-party providers and who would handle Can you? I was having trouble following that <laughs> section. Could you break that down for me, please? Yeah. One, one of the difficult areas for our providers who give early intervention services like our speech therapist and our physical and occupational therapist, one of the difficult areas is that they have to do their own billing. So they, they have to bill for services, and so the health department is called the payer of last resort. So the service providers go out, they give the services, Then they have to bill Medicaid um, if the child happens to have insurance and Medicaid. They have to first bill the insurance company, then bill Medicaid, and then let the health department know that nobody's paying for these services, so you are the payer of last resort. So it might take two or three months for this provider to be able to get payment back, which means that, you know, maybe some bills don't get paid because their income dropped that month because it's taken so long. Most of our children have some sort of insurance. Medicaid typically pays for early intervention services in general, but then there's there can be a hiccup or a delay in payment. So that's where it gets sticky. So what... What we were discussing when Dr. Edney was talking about it is to perhaps make it easier so that the the provider isn't waiting so long to be paid for the services. And, and how would that be accomplished? That the health department would contract with with the group of therapists to do the services. They would get paid for the services they would then invoice the health department for the services rendered. Health department would pay them, and then the health department would bill the insurance companies. Yeah. Did and that make sense? Yeah, it did. Yeah. And, it, and that makes sense because he was saying, too, that, they would, that if they did take that on, that they would need to have the resources to be able to, you know. Right. Yeah. You have to have individuals who know how to bill, who know, know have to, how to go after payment of services, so that the health department wouldn't go in the ditch trying to to pay the providers out there. But it could work in our state once it got set up. And what Dr. Edney was, was alluding to is that if he could have the money to help set this program up, eventually it would pay for itself. And then just how are you feeling about the work the committee's done so far? 
Oh, I just have to say that we've got a wonderful, dedicated task force and advisor group who have participated and given so much of their time, their volunteer time, to do this. And so I feel really good about it. I think we've gotten some good information. The peer committee with our with Ted Booth and Mary Claire and Emily and all their work has been phenomenal. So I can't I can't say that I've ever been on a, a more energetic, fast moving group than this one. I think it's going very well. Dr. Susan Buttress is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She chairs the legislature's Early Intervention Task Force. Coming up, a Senate committee is trying to better understand the roadblocks in Mississippi's youth court system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to know what that family keepsake is worth? MPB's next Antique Showcase will be coming to the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in Biloxi on Friday, October 13th and Saturday, October 14th. We'll have professional appraisers on site to evaluate a variety of treasure types. Tickets are limited and will go quickly, so don't delay. Reserve your tickets at mpbfoundation.org slash msshowcase. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A state committee overseeing Mississippi's youth court system is meeting before the 2024 legislative session starts. They're discussing operation costs and any changes that need to be made. A House bill last session reconstituted the commission, so it has several judges, political appointees, as well as officers from Child Protection Services. Republican Senator Jeremy England represents District 51. He was appointed by the lieutenant governor to help oversee the study committee. It's very important that we come out of this commission with, in my opinion, some uniform set of rules like we have in other courts that we that we look at, that we follow, that makes things a little easier to do. We're going to hold hearings. I understand we're doing this until October of 2024, so we don't have to uh, have something today. But as we get rolling and get closer to October of 2024, hopefully we've got an idea of what we would like to turn over to the legislature uh, for members like uh, Jansen and myself to take a look at. And I will say on other commissions, we take these very seriously when we're trying to decide what rules to adopt. Uh, would a uniform statewide system be desirable? I think that's probably going to be one topic that we end up debating heavily in here. I I understand that currently uh, there may be different jurisdictions that may be doing things differently and whether that's helpful, what's helpful, what's not helpful. You know, as long as we all work together and we keep focused on the primary uh, goal is that we need a we need a the best working youth court system that we can have in Mississippi as it relates to our children, as it relates to our judges, to our to our, the, the folks that practice in front of the judges uh, and to the parents. Uh, so keeping all of that in mind as we move forward, uh, how best do we service those needs? Can counties in a given service area or district develop shelter, detention centers and diagnostic centers to serve multi-county areas? And to add on to that, I'll say that one thing that the lieutenant governor and I have talked about that's a very important thing for him is with with regards to human trafficking. And a lot of times those are children that 
that end up uh, in a situation where they've been told one thing or another to say? And, and how do you how do we help those children out? I think is something that we can look at. I know the lieutenant governor would be glad to uh, assist and, and hear us um, address that. Also, what would modernize the system to provide staffing for all counties and citizens? On the study committee are several state agency heads, youth advocates, and experts in the youth legal profession. Andrea Sanders is commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services. She says youth court has a large scope, covering matters of abuse, neglect of juveniles, and offenses committed by minors. I would just urge this body to really carefully consider the work that's done in youth courts. It's specialized work. It's niche work. It also is work that we're we're messing around in people's families. Our work is to go into the homes of people who've allegedly neglected or harmed their children, walk inside the threshold of their door. I consider that sacred space inside somebody's family home. And we go in and we judge their parenting. It's extremely important. What we do is invasive. It's necessary because kids get hurt behind closed doors in their homes. But it's also necessary that we only take children when it's absolutely necessary to protect their safety, because we know it does a lot of harm when we remove children from a home. And it's also necessary that we only keep them in state custody the number of days that are required to keep them safe, because A big lumbering state agency is never going to be a good substitute for a family. We're working harder every day to do a better job with the children while we have them, but children who linger in custody longer than absolutely necessary, I would argue that we end up doing more harm with those kids. So it's important that the youth court meet on a regular basis. And then from my perspective as a consumer of the courts across the state as a whole, that we have some consistency to what that looks like. I am trying to train a workforce in a a very high risk job that has high stakes. And so while I don't so much care what the court looks like, having a consistent court across the state in all 82 counties is, I think, vital for us to get the kind of outcomes that we need so that children and families can thrive. Director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services, Bob Anderson, says he agrees with Sanders' desire for a uniform statewide system. DHS primarily deals with the delinquency side of youth court. He says a standardized procedure could help the system move faster. I I respect, I appreciate, I applaud the The lawyers who step up and serve as referees, um, they're filling a gap that is sorely needed to be filled. But I think we would all agree, those of us who deal with the youth court system regularly, that it would be a major improvement if each county either had its own youth court judge or at least had access to a youth court judge. Uh, And I want to just mention, I know some of you uh, may have had a chance to review uh, what I thought was a very good proposal that former Chief Justice Waller brought to the legislature now three or four years ago. It it provided for a statewide youth court system, although some of the smaller counties obviously didn't need, uh, didn't have the docket really to support a full-time judge. And so Sharkey, Issaquina, and some other smaller counties shared a youth court 
but they all had access to a youth court. And I think at a bare minimum, we as a commission, this commission uh, should be striving so that, you know, toward every county having access to a youth court system. The committee is expected to submit a report recommending changes to the legislature. Coming up, we speak with the authors of 100 Things Everyone Should Do in Mississippi Before You Die. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Humor, stories, news, music. Our weekend lineup has it all. Tune in to enjoy the relaxed sound of the weekends on MPB Think Radio. There are many ways to support the programs you love on MPB. Becoming a member, starting a monthly gift, donate a vehicle you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. To learn more about the advantages of donating real estate, just click Donate Now from mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Brandy Perry and Dory Lowe are authors of the new book, 100 Things to Do in Mississippi Before You Die. Perry says much of their inspiration for the book comes from their experience as teachers and working together, writing a food and travel blog called Backroads and Burgers. Our goal is to really promote Mississippi. That's kind of why we started Backroads and Burgers, because we wanted people to see what an awesome state we live in. This kind of just helped further that goal. What town are you in? I live in Columbia, uh, and Dory is in Monticello, but we both teach in the Lawrence County School District. Okay. You have tons of categories. You've got food and drink, bookstores, you've got festivals, music clubs, sports and rec, nature trails and parks. How long did it take for you to put all of this together? And did you go to all of the places that you discuss? Creating that list was the most difficult thing of the whole process for me, because there is so many wonderful things about the state. But yes, we have visited everything in that book because we wanted to make sure that we were telling the right story. Um, about it. But Dory, what would you say about six months of writing and three months start to come out after that? Yes, probably not creating the list. It's probably not the correct word. It's narrowing the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because when we started, we had well over 100 things that we wanted to include in the book, and then we had to narrow it to 100. So that took us probably, what, Brandy, a week and a half or so? At least, yeah. Um, To It was eliminating things off of our list. That was the chore. (laughs) All right. Well, let's highlight some of the places that you talk about. For food and drink, you mentioned Mamie's Cupboard. And I looked at the photo of this location, and it kind of looks like an egg glue. (laughs) It it is so tiny. Um, So they are known for their world-class desserts. Um, The building has been standing, if I can remember, um, since the 30s, and uh, the young lady purchased it uh, a couple of years ago, and she is now known for the highest meringue on a chocolate pie that I've ever seen. 
amongst other things. Um, absolutely delicious lunch. Yes. And that's in Natchez. And then there's Brent's Drugs. Now, I'm familiar with that because that is in Jackson, a historic place uh, in Mississippi. What made you pick that? Um, Brent's Drugs just had such a fantastic history, um, not only in the city of Jackson, and it was just a, a focal point for so many generations through the years. Um, they've been in a couple of books, they've been in a couple of movies, and not to mention their food is, is out of this world. You know, when we were trying to limit this, of course, Mississippi is known tremendously for their delicious food. And that probably for me was the hardest part of us deciding which one had the biggest wow factor. Which places do people have to see while they're still on this earth? And what if there are... I say three places at the top of your list. What are they? Ooh. <laughs> um, we've been asked that question several times, and it is so hard to. Um... Um, I think you absolutely have to go to Learned, Mississippi, and, and eat the fried chicken at the Old Country Store. I think that sits right outside of Lorman. Um, Mr. D, if he's there, he'll sing to you, and it makes it an incredible experience. And And there's no doubt that's some of the best chicken we've ever had. A pretty good judge of fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Dory, what is one you're thinking about? There's so many um, historical, I mean, like the history of Mississippi runs so deep, it's hard to limit it to a top three. It Um, is. The museums are are a big chunk. I know like the B.B. King Museum, um, the Mississippi Book Festival, Mm -hmm. those are both incredible places and and I'm trying to think, um, you got to go to the, the store at Mississippi State and eat the cheese and drink the milk. You know, there's just, I feel like Mississippi has so many spectacular places. And, and to limit that to 170 pages, um, it felt like we were doing a disservice to people. But thankfully, you know, we might have an opportunity to do a number two one day. In terms of festivals, which folks really like, the World Catfish mm-hmm. Festival, Watermelon, Crawfish... Balloon Festival, great activities. The Natchez Balloon Festival is coming up in October. Blues, of course, is such an important part of of Mississippi's history and culture. But I think I kind of see us as like the breadbasket of being able to host so many of those festivals so well. I know the Double Decker is in there. That's an extremely unique festival uh, from up in Oxford. And um, we tried to hit on the ones that are doing just simply spectacular things and things you may not see at another festival. Dory Lowe and Brandy Perry, the authors of 100 Things to Do in Mississippi Before You Die, thank you so much for sharing uh, some of what you've been doing and telling us about this terrific book and a book that will help visitors and residents of the state find out more about what's in the Magnolia State. Thank you so much for having us on today. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.